Amrit for the podcast that almost never happened and has taken more organization than any other podcast <laughs> preparation in history because of every reason under the sun. Uh, welcome to the Care Leaders Network podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on today. I mean, I literally cannot believe that I'm on it, you know, after after it all. But yeah, this is super exciting. Um, thank you for having me on, Simon. You're, uh, you're very welcome. Uh, welcome. And uh, I'm glad that we that we finally made it happen. So obviously, of course, today is a leadership insights conversation. Um, so uh, let's without further ado, let's uh, let's make this happen. So I mean, my first question to you, tell me, do you believe that leaders are born? Or do you think they're made? I, I'm of the belief that leaders are made. Um, I think you are born with certain things that you're good at. Uh, you know, I, I've always been quite sort of confident. But then actually having said that, was I born confident or was it just because, you know, I was uh, a, a bit left out of school and so you're made to, to be confident and so on. And so I think often what ends up happening is that um, we, we think we are born with certain characteristics, but they are... Um, created because of the environment and then you learn you know for me uh, certainly leadership has been a really tough upward struggle and it's been a journey um, and I've learned a lot and I've got received lots of coaching and mentoring um, so certainly from, from my perspective it was something that I was always interested in but had to you know properly learn about. There's definitely a journey that you can go on from a leadership perspective. It's interesting that you said that you weren't confident in school. Uh, I, I, I can't, there's a part of me that can't believe but that, but then also there's a part of me that can because I wasn't particularly confident in, in school. I got bullied and I, like, this isn't a where was me set of circumstances particularly, but like I wasn't the gregarious outgoing type of person that I've almost made myself become because of the nature of the profession that I've that I've chosen. Uh, but it is interesting how like putting myself in the fire has developed those skills and those characteristics and things. And it sounds like maybe some 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 similar experiences there. No, totally. I mean, it was for me, it was really lack of um, it wasn't a lack of confidence per se. It was more about the fact that, you know, I was just a bit of a loner. And so you're you're then you then develop a certain set of skills that have been really useful to me. And so actually, um, you know, I like, uh, you know, I've got a big network, but I like small groups of, you know, close knit people uh, that you can really rely on and, and, and you operate that way with your team and so on. Um, and therefore loyalty becomes a really important thing uh, and so on. And, and so I, I think all of those things and your childhood and everything that you read and you see and you know, it all sort of impacts that leadership piece. Hmm. So I can imagine if you spend more time on your own, you're probably going to be maybe more more likely to read, more likely to be introspective, yeah. those types of things, which I think are certainly certain. Certainly I could I could uh, I could compare them to my my own journey that they've been instrumental in my my own development and things like that. So, um, of course, there's a reason why I ask these questions in the in the way that I do. But this, of course, segues me beautifully to the next question, which is, do you believe that leadership is an art? Or a science, and if you can give some context as to why you uh, why you've chosen that particular answer, that would be great. Um, I often talk about this, um, and I talk about this in, in re with relation to business. But actually, I think the the answer is the same for leadership. I think it's a, a really nice blend of art and and science. I think the, um, the 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 science part is that you know things are formulaic. Um, and having that kind of cultural discipline, doing the same thing over and over again, having the right scorecard, having that meeting on a Monday morning or whatever it might be, you know, all of that sort of leadership stuff that is kind of ongoing and consistent is really important. The art part of it is an understanding that, oh, you know, actually, hold on a second, Simon, you look like you're having a bit of a tough day. Let's talk about that. Let's just put this aside for a second and focus on you. And, you know, do you need another a week on that deadline? Do you need a, a couple of days off? Do you, you know, you've run out of uh, your annual leave. Do you need some time anyway, etc. You know, and I think that kind of leadership is very much a careful blend of art and science. I think if it's too much art, which is where it started for me, uh, there, there's no kind of system there and that and that breaks out. And if there's too much science, then you, you don't quite ever get under the hood with people. 
You know, and I think if you're looking at someone like John Maxwell and his five levels of leadership, where you start is purely science, right? And then you kind of develop upwards into the into the art. Um, and so it's really important to kind of have a nice balance of both things. And I, I don't know if that answers your question, Simon. Yeah, sure. Do, do you think that uh, using the reference that you provided there, do you think that because people who are learning leadership as a, as a, as a craft, if you like, you have to learn from others or you have to read books or you have to uh, listen or watch to podcasts or anything along those, those lines. Is it because the art, sorry, the science, do you think that that, that sits in the frameworks that you consume and then the art itself is almost your interpretation of that science because it's more structured and definite by its nature, but then the, the delivery having made that understanding of the science, can you, can you see what I'm going there around to come mm. the, 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 you've got the framework, which is the science, which is the kind of almost the, the, the finite structure that you work within, but then the art itself is, uh, the infinite structure as a means of delivery, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely it's kind of uh, having a nuanced delivery um, and sort of thinking, well, different. So, so we, we started playing around with personality uh, testing, disc profiling and so on, um, which, which I always used to think was, oh, that's bulb. You know, everyone just needs to do it this way. But actually, um, having looked at that and then starting to talk to people differently has really helped me in my leadership Um certain people my pa for example i'm like bang here you go this is what it is and it'll be yes no thank you and and that's it you know and actually that works perfectly for her she does it and that's great um and there's no sort of long drawn out answers and then i've got other people that i work with where they need more context they need me to kind of you know give them the kind of background more spend the extra five minutes with them you know and it's it, but it's yeah, and both things are absolutely fine you know, um, but it's just about me understanding how the other person needs to consume that information. So I think the art part of it is then really learning that that conversation piece. Um, the, the science for me is, you know, um, so I follow uh, Gina Whitman's sort of traction model, and we're, we're quite interested in that. And I think that's very scientific, actually, in many ways, because it, it keeps things, dates, numbers, scorecard, you know, let's look at the dial, you know, we're driving the car, let's keep looking at the speedometer to see where we're at. And that's it, you know, and I think that the science part of that keeps the business going, but the art part of that keeps the people happy. It's interesting that you mention Gina Whitman's Entrepreneurs Operating System in their book, Traction. It's been mentioned in CLN, in our, in our community a, a few times by myself and by a, a few other people. I think it was Tushar from Centrum Group who mentioned it originally. Uh, and we kind of came together and agreed that it's a, it's a really good book. And it's, although it's business agnostic, there's so much that care leaders can take from that book. I'd highly, highly recommend anyone uh, listening to this jumps on to Amazon straight away. It'll cost you 10 quid or 12 quid or whatever it costs you for, for the book. Um, but it's one of those books that you can devour um and there's so much actionable insight from that that applies to leadership and building organizations in every respect you could imagine um i mean the the, the book's just the tip of the iceberg they do all sorts of other stuff as uh, as well but it's um it's just a really really good book that i'd highly advocate it's, it sounds it's... like you do too Hugely. I mean, actually, we sort of have um, someone that helps us sort of integrate the whole thing. Um, they, he comes in on a quarterly basis, keeps us on track as to how are we looking on, on, on target and so on. We really try to get behind it. I think as we get bigger as an organization, I'd love to get a proper integrator in because uh, EOS, uh, the operating uh, system that you know, EOS worldwide, which is what I think they're called, they actually have coaches that come out and so on it's quite cool um yeah it's, it's a huge thing quite a little funny uh story actually for you when um, i was at uh, going out to the states for a conference last year and i got onto the airplane and i look across and i phoned my wife and i was like gina whitman's on the airplane and no she's way. like first of all who the hell is that you know <laughs> and i was like this is so exciting and so I, I sort of sat there and i was like kept getting up and sitting down thinking okay am i gonna am i gonna do this yeah. so three hours go past <laughs> so i'm gonna go and speak to him walk up to him 
not Gina Wickman. I know. I lamented, ruined my my three hours of peace and sleep, and oh god, no, oh, not not him. Really, Damn it! Right? Hopefully, the next huge fangirl moment. End up bumping into him at uh, at some point. Uh, I can yeah. him on LinkedIn uh, recently and just said, "Look, love you, right?" Yeah. Uh, and he responded in about five five seconds. Uh, and uh, responded with a very kind message. So he's a he's a real person Great and a real person, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. but I'm sure you will end up meeting him. Hopefully, I'll be there as well. We'll try and do some uh, traction EOS care sector collaboration type stuff at some point. Get in into the, it in straight future, away, yeah. Um, which would be very very cool. But uh, yeah. progress. Um, some of the things relate uh, back to the EOS model, but if you haven't heard of, uh, if you haven't been engrossed in that conversation, then that won't necessarily make uh, too much sense. But this is a, a good question to be asking now. So, Amit, mean, tell me, what do you believe the difference is between management and leadership? Yeah, I think management is. And actually here, it goes back to the art and the science, I think. Um, you know, management is very much a science piece of saying, right, okay, we're trying to get a job done. It's that, that project management piece. It's getting things moving. It's keeping people on track and, and so on. And actually, uh, a lot of my career, I've spent in the management bit rather than in the leadership bit, thinking I was doing leadership. Um, and in more recent years, I have really tried to develop myself out of management into leadership and hiring the right people that are better managers than I am, mm. who are more interested in that long-term outcome, who are, who, what makes them tick is getting that thing done, getting people from A to B and, and helping develop people. And, and so my job has very much been about developing them into leadership roles rather than you know, keeping them in that management piece. So I think management is very much that day-to-day you know, we're starting here, we're finishing there. These are things that we need to get done. Leadership is about keeping people motivated to get the big goal and keeping the ship moving in the right direction. It's not necessarily you know, how many rows are we doing. It's more about, you know, which direction is the boat going in. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And at what point do you say that somebody becomes a leader gosh i mean that's that's a question isn't it it's it's so tricky i think so many people are leaders in their own right and they don't even know it you know i've got people that work for me that people follow and they get behind because they're believable they're passionate they are honest and and really kind of have a lot of integrity and, and very genuine and will give you the right support in the right places and so on. But I, I think that often, you know, those people don't necessarily believe that they are leaders, uh, you know, depending on how many people they're leading. And maybe, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, you have to lead a thousand people before you're a leader. I don't I think that personally, I, I think that actually it's, it's kind of really understanding often it's people that are good at management then, you know, are, that, that can then get into that leadership piece and say, well, okay, I know how the job needs to be done. Um, and I know how I feel in that situation. So now the next person that I'm developing upwards, that is the person that, you know, um, needs to, I know how they need to feel and I'm going to help them with that. And I think the difference between a manager and a leader is very much that a leader is somebody that creates other leaders. They help people develop to become a leader and a manager doesn't necessarily do that. They get the job done, but they don't necessarily develop the person underneath them to become uh, the, the same level as they are. They're, they're more about getting the, the operational action done. So I think for me, my big job has been in recent years creating leaders and thinking, well, how do I make myself redundant and how do I make everyone else responsible? It's a funny, um, it's a funny concept, isn't it? This idea of how do I make myself redundant? Because it's not the the if you're in a leadership role you feel that you're meant to be in that leadership role so making yourself redundant means making yourself almost unimportant or at least that's maybe what your ego tells you once you get the opportunity to remove your ego from the set of circumstances it's not about uh making yourself 
useless. It's about your own personal development and your own growth and creating a slipstream for those working alongside you to be able to fill that space where they're growing into where you've been, which is a, it's a strange yeah. mindset of succession. And it's something that, um, uh, I got various different people in my, in my life. The first one that springs to mind, my, my father-in-law was, um, uh, quite senior at 3M. And one of his, the things that he talks really, really passionately about within his career was this mindset of succession. And he talks through, uh, he's told me all, all sorts of different stories about how he's got people to that next stage, but it's not just the fact that he's got them to the next stage in doing so he's got himself to the next stage as well. So this, there's, there's, uh, there's a, Although I'm sure he didn't do it uh, entirely for selfless or selfish reasons. There's a very, um, everyone benefits in that set of circumstances where if, yeah. whereas if you get stuck in that mindset of I'm, I'm, I'm important and I should be here, you're, you become a bottleneck almost. Totally. And I think, you know, if you think about Jim Collins and good to great, and you think about that kind of cultural discipline and so on, that is exactly what he says. You know, he's, you know, a good company is great. They're getting results. They're moving. A great company is a company that, you know, the leader creates a culture where everybody else is accountable and are driving towards a goal and have that same culture. I think the succession piece for me, is so important. I, I think about that often. And I think about, well, you know, in 20 years time, how does the business look in five years time? How does the business look? Who am I recruiting now? Who are the right people that are getting onto the bus right now? And are they the people that I want? Are they the people that are going to help us get to the goal? Are they the people that have the right culture? Because they are the people of tomorrow. They are the people that are talking to my franchisees and so on as we grow. And that's super important, I think. And so very much it's about if you want a great company, you need to make yourself redundant, you need to swallow that kind of ego pill, because we've all been there, which is like, oh, it'll break down without me. But actually, that's not good business. You know, <laughs> good business is something where you can disappear for a month, and it still exists when you return. I think that for me has been a big driver. And it's, um, you know, I often I used to laugh to my wife um, years ago, and I said, I work so hard because I am so lazy, you know, and it's about me trying to not work hard forever. And if you just work hard now and get the right thing, get the right elements in play, it will work long term without you. The importance of succession planning. I'm glad that we've had that yeah. conversation in the depth that we have as uh, as well, because I can imagine Wolfinch has, of course, grown an awful lot, but that was something that particularly that you'd experienced yourself. So hugely talk to me about misconceptions as it relates to both leaders and about leaderships. What would you say that the common misconceptions are that people have about leaders and about leadership? I think the way that leaders make decisions, you know, I think there's a huge misconception about that. And I think most of the time, most leaders, certainly in our industry, in, in the care sector, they are making decisions for other people thinking that they're doing the right thing and so on. But I think often it, that is misconstrued um, because often people you're not going to make everyone happy. A decision that you make is going to bend someone's nose out of joint. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's never going to be the thing where you think, right, okay, I've got you know, total unanimous uh, uh, support on this. It's just not going to be the case. But the people that you upset often are going to think, well, you've done this because of this, this, and this. But actually, I think, you know, often the decision-making is very hard. I mean, I know I have lamented over various decisions that I've made that have been difficult because I know that they're the right thing and they will create the right tomorrow, but they are really hard today. Um, and I think that whole aspect is, is something to, to think about. I think I feel... Sorry for most leaders. It's a really crappy job, actually, when you really get into it. And if you really want to do it correctly, because you're never going to keep everyone happy because your job is to make the wheels keep moving. And often to make the wheels keep moving, you have to make the hard decisions that are quite often quite unpopular. But you're not doing it for selfless reasons more often than not. 
but uh, the buck stops with you. That's the that's the that's one of the uh, the pros and cons of uh, of leadership. Yeah. For, uh, for for sure. Totally. You've you've almost touched on this implicitly in part of our conversation, I think, to a certain extent. But talk to me about what your beliefs are around the difference between a a good leader and a great leader. Um, I, I sort of mentioned earlier that I think culture of discipline um, is is quite an important thing, and by that I mean doing the same thing, you know, being consistent always. So if you have that meeting and you're there one minute early, great. If you're there one minute late, you know, you are the leader and you're setting a bad precedent. If the meeting is every Monday, but you're the person that can't turn up to it the whole time or whatever, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I think for me, that is one of the most important things. And if you create that, everybody else will do the same thing. If you are lax on that, everybody else will do the same thing. You, know, you unfortunately, for better or for worse, you are the person that everyone else will emulate because the way that you behave is setting the, the, the scene for the whole thing. So that, for me, I think is probably the most important thing, having that cultural discipline. Cultural discipline's hard as well. It's, uh, it's uh, I, I would um, I would refer to it slightly different differently. I'd call it... Um, cultural consistency but you need discipline to get to the consistency so I, I see exactly where you're where you're going with that um ultimately it's the the leader's job to set the context for the team to the standard operating system for the team to operate with within and you're right you have to be the bastion of that uh to to empower people to head in the direction of the, the the right way to operate or the way that's culturally consistent yep. with your organization but then also as well to have that polarity and that contrast to be able to ward them off or discourage them from going in the direction of the things that would not be culturally consistent and that's uh that within itself is a is a balancing act and a and, a, and an endless endless job because different people we're all humans we all we all have uh days where we're on top of the world we have other days where we're not so much and then the interplay with all the within the different different um within the the interplay within the, the 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 team and how people relate to each other and then how people relate to your customers et cetera et cetera that can all have a profound impact on how that cultural consistency which way it's balancing is it balancing in the direction of a more positive culturally consistent way or is it or is it not and then how do you make sure that you're navigating things in a way which is you're never get, always going to get it right, but mostly right, mostly right, yeah. and learning all the time. Uh, no, and that's all you can all you can hope for. Totally, I think you know. For me, it is very much that I am. I, you know, I've got my my wife and kids and so on, and, and you've got lots of other sort of distractions that you think, well, oh, that'd be fun to go and do that in the middle of the day because actually I could just cancel my meetings and go and do that, but actually that for me is 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 the whole thing it's really holding it together and saying well no this is a 10-year goal the reason i'm going on to this meeting the reason i'm on this podcast today with simon is because of that 10-year goal mm -hmm. and so i need to be here one minute early i need to do this and this is the thing that the rest of the team will see equally important is to have the bants have some laughs and and you know make sure that everyone's having a good time but i think that the, fundamentally if you if you have a grown-up attitude to, to to working and running business, that fundamentally is is really what it comes down to. Often, without a shadow of a doubt, definitely got to throw in some banter in there for good measure, of course. Lighten the mood yeah, 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 yeah. where it's appropriate, of course. Nice to nice to lighten the mood. So, what would you say the three most important characteristics are of leaders? Oh, gosh. Um, I think fairness is really important. Having integrity is really important. And vision, you know, having somebody that is a visionary is also very important. For me, I think the when you're a leader, often, I mean, I've created, I've had various startups and in in care and in others and, and and so on and actually now i'm in franchising which actually is is kind of slightly removed from the principal business of providing care because now i'm providing a different service which is franchising 
And when you're a leader, you're sort of sitting there thinking, well, okay, I need to get over there. And that's actually really far away. So I need to really be able to picture that, make it feel tangible and go and get it. But I'm not going to be able to get it with the right people unless I've got a, a certain level of integrity. And I'm not going to be able to keep those people unless I'm super fair with them. Because, yes, I want this thing done by Monday morning. But actually, you look like you're about to have a nervous breakdown. So I can either say, cool, sorry about that, but Monday, cheers. Or I can say, okay, you know, I want it done by Monday, but this is realistically going to be done by Thursday because you need to take the, the afternoon off and, 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 and have a breather. I think there's the combination of all those things for me, I think is really important. I really like the three that you've chosen. Um, the, uh, the vision one, it's one that I connected with and I, I was thinking about whilst you were, whilst you were sharing your experiences and, and insights on, on that one. It's, uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you have to detach from the day-to-day -to, -day to a certain extent to live in the future, but not yeah. to the detriment of today, which is a strange balance to, 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 to be able to uphold. Um, yeah. And it's almost the, the further you, you go out in the future, relevant to where you want to steer the business in the, in the future, um almost the the more difficult that that is because because it becomes abstract and it becomes an amorphous and it becomes something that you can see it but maybe that the team can't and being able to paint that picture of that vision in glorious technicolor where the team can understand and appreciate it and really really get on board with it is endlessly difficult but then also endlessly fascinating and fun uh, as uh, as well i can imagine like you mentioned earlier having a i think you said a five-year vision and then maybe even a 20 or 30 30 year vision <clears throat> a lot can change in that period of time uh, yeah you know the the, the 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 vision and aspiration that you may have today may not be the one that you have tomorrow but one has to contemplate the future uh, and almost do um, different scenario planning and things, even if it's just a thought thought experiment yeah. whilst you're sat there having a cup of tea and just thinking about things in the future, the more, and you're almost planting seeds for the future to prepare yourself so that you have a certain level of expected anticipation for that future self, as in the person that you yeah. have to be to become the leader to get to that 30-year vision, but then also practically as well how do you serve your team whilst you become that person as well which is uh again it's fun and it's uh uh somewhat endless that type of a thing because you can you can just keep keep going i think that one of the fun things about uh having a vision is the fact that it is or it it, it can be infinite um which playing an infinite infinite game is uh i think something that really revs some leaders up uh and gets them gets them very excited it's so true. I mean, if I think back 10 years ago, I had planted this seed. This is what I want to be doing. I wanted to create my own franchise brand. I want to be sort of pushing that out and saying, this is it. This is how I see the future of care. And it's quite amazing sometimes when I sit back and I think, well, actually, this is something that was a brainchild of someone 10 years ago basically and now it's coming to fruition and that's really interesting i think and it's it's quite a nice story to kind of repeat to your team as well because they can see well that is the level of discipline it takes of saying well i'm going to do the push-ups today and in 10 years time i'm going to be able to lift you know bigger weight and we're going to do x and and that is that is it one thing that i i, I always have great admiration for for you specifically is the fact that you're very good at telling the telling the story i think your ability to be able to create the the narrative of the wolfinch group is uh, is something that uh, i think you've you've attuned yourself to whether you were any good at the start i don't know i'll have to speak to some people to find that out but certainly at this point in your trajectory it's something that you seem to really enjoy and get get a lot from as uh, as well and of course telling that story both externally and internally is uh, it, it's fun, but it's almost like a manifestation. It's coming back to the vision thing as, as well around seeding the territory for all of these incredible things to happen that you believe can bring to fruition, but that oftentimes 
um, you have to bring people on the journey to to make sure that those things make sure that those things happen. So I think this is a, a, a good time to ask this this question as as well, because we're kind of talking about almost the evolution of you personally. And of, of course, your your kind of professional working capacity, if you like. But how, how do you think that leadership itself is evolving over time? I think hugely, if you look back 10, 15, 20 years, and you think about how leaders were behaving at that point, it was very autocratic. And it was, you know, do this, that is it, that is the leader. Also, I think culturally, there's a huge shift as well. You know, I'm Indian from in Indian background. And, and if I, you know, as a child, used to go to India quite a lot and so on, and, and leadership styles that I was, I saw there were very autocratic and it's very sort of the, the relationship it was very different. I think in today's world, basically, regardless of where you are, I think there is a huge shift towards a much more engagement attitude. There is a lot more of that sort of democratic behavior. There's a lot more involvement. And certainly I think if there, there, there ought to be as well. I think that getting your team involved, understanding people, becoming more kind of nuanced with emotions is really important as well, I think. That has been, for me, I think one of the biggest shifts that I can see in leadership. Even in the last 10 years, I've seen that. And that's quite interesting. Certainly seems to be the case, doesn't it? I, I mean, I, I can remember prior to setting up my first business in the in the care sector uh, as, a, as an employee, I think maybe I just ended up working at some not so great companies, uh, although they had their, 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 their positive ca characteristics. Let's say a lot... I learned a lot about leadership around how not to do it. And I certainly experienced an awful lot of autocratic leadership uh, in all sorts of different ways and didn't land particularly well with me. I put up with it. Um, but I can remember thinking at the time, having been unnecessarily beasted uh, <laughs> uh, in a, in a, <laughs> certainly in a, uh, uh, an autocratic way, thinking to myself, gosh, if I was ever in a leadership position, that just this just isn't the way that I would yeah. I would conduct myself. I was chatting to somebody, um, shout out to uh, Joanne Fogg, um, uh, who uh, uh, is uh, uh, somebody that I have great appreciation for. We've been chatting quite a lot recently. And she um, she said, uh, we were having a conversation about authentic leadership and um, how one has to understand, you've got to understand yourself really, really well to to be able to operate as a, as, as a leader. Uh, and I think it's, almost like autocratic leadership style is almost like a, it, you, you just fit it in a box. It's kind of aggressive and abrupt and uh, you tell people what to do. And it's kind of, there's a, re there's a relative, relatively narrow range of means of operation within a more autocratic mindset. Whereas in a more, let's say modern, compassionate approach to, to leadership, there are some principles but the application of those principles are, are by very nature, uh, it's almost person-centered, you know, the, the care sector mm. talks an awful mm. lot about person-centered care. I think we, we steer ourselves at the moment in the direction of more person-centered leadership. And I believe that that can only be a good thing. Totally. I mean, I think going back to someone like John Maxwell, I think this the, the kind of getting to that top level um, is all about being nuanced and understanding people. But also it's about thinking about why is the person that is being told what to do, doing it? Are they doing it because you're asking them to and you're the leader? Or are they doing it because they want to do it because that fits into the vision? They want to do it for you. You know, they really believe in it. And I think for me, getting to that higher level of leadership is all about being able to instill that passion in your people and saying, we are all on this journey together. And I, I really believe that, you know, I really believe that my management team are stakeholders in this journey. And, you know, we all win when we get to the place that we want to get to, everybody wins. And if that doesn't happen, it's, it's, it goes back to that fairness and it just doesn't really fit right. I, uh, I, I think about that a lot and I think about how that relates to recruitment as well. Like, mm. Are you able to recruit people who can align with the vision and aspiration and values that you're 
espousing in a in a in a recruitment process um but also how can you align the personal goals of the people on your team with that of the organization because and there's probably like a a, a range or a distribution on on this one but some people are incredibly work focused and they will do things very specifically because that's my profession and that's just the way that i that the way that i operate i'd hazard a guess that a lot of other people maybe are uh, more driven by what impacts them personally over and above just having a, taken a salary and that type of uh, that type of stuff. And if you're able to align those two things and consider that as part of the recruitment process to make sure that you're employing people who are who want to be part of that journey because it means something to them so viscerally that they would do it regardless. That's an incredibly powerful way to to be able to to operate and don't get me wrong it's really hard <laughs> yeah not, not, really, not yeah. just a light that you can flick on uh because it means yeah. you need to raise your standards as you run your recruitment processes and things like that but um that's not a bad totally, thing but but often if you hire an a player and engage them in the recruitment process they will also want to get another a player mm. and that within itself creates a self-fulfilling prophecy because when you hire someone, you know, and we're talking about the ego piece earlier. So when you hire someone that is less good than you, they will hire someone less good than them. And the, the, because they've got that ego thing and they're worried about, well, someone's going to see that I'm not good at this. Whereas when you hire someone better than you or, or who someone that is really, really good, they want excellence and they expect excellence because that is normal for them. There's no, worry bit that they've got they they know they're good they also want someone else good because that person's going to help them get to the, the end goal but i think really understanding motivation uh, and understanding how one is motivated because you might have two or three members of staff but they're all going to have a different level of motivation and they'll be at different life stages you know somebody might be getting their first property somebody else might have an ill parent someone else might have issues with their spouse or children or whatever and you you know it's really kind of getting under the hood and saying well what's going on in the background how can i get involved in a sensible way to to help this how do i you know you need a wednesday afternoon off at 3 p.m but you're happy to you know, kind of pick up over there okay it's really kind of understanding everyone's motivation not everyone is motivated by money you know some people are just motivated by a high five and it's really kind of getting that yeah Without shadow, definitely. Uh, and that was kind of what I was saying about the. There's almost like this, the principles of compassionate modern leadership, but then the application itself, because it is person-centered, how that then gets delivered is is person-centered. It has to be uh, by nature of the way that it's operated. It has to take into consideration the needs, wants, desires of the of the person, which again makes it harder, but better. Yeah. The out the outcome of said leadership approach uh, has a has a greater greater impact. Um, and uh, people are probably like you more anyway because you're less autocratic, but obviously that's, uh, <laughs> that's another thing entirely. So, um, <laughs> or at least value you. Liking people, again, that's probably a, a topic within of, its, uh, uh, within of itself. People yeah, have, I mean, there's a, the, there's the you need to be liked, you're probably not leadership. Side of things. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a slip of the tongue. It's almost <laughs> like the difference between nice and being kind, isn't it? You know, like... I know yeah. I, 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 uh, people think uh, I'm mad when I say this, but for, for context, like I don't like nice people. I like kind people. I feel like nice people are the yeah. kind of people that might tell me something that is factually incorrect, um, but to make me feel good. Whereas a kind person yeah. will tell me the uncomfortable truth that I need to hear. Um, and there's all sorts of uncomfortable truths as a, in the life of the entrepreneur yeah. as the, uh, as the leader yeah. and the more of that real stuff that you can get the, uh, the better, but tangent, I feel like we could probably have a, a whole, whole podcast conversation about that thing. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll loop back on that one at another time. Next but, one. Yeah. <laughs> um, challenges, leader space challenges. That's just the nature of the uh, nature of the beast. Talk to me about the challenges that you faced as a leader. And also what have you learned from those difficult sets of circumstances? Uh, so what have been the lessons as a consequence of those big challenges? I think, yeah, I mean, there's, there's always something, isn't there? There's, there's, there feels like there's always a big thing every year. You think, Oh God, you know, there's this now I need to deal with. And, and as a leader, 
if you're always trying to move and you're always trying to drive, that will carry on happening. And the thing that you want to be doing is learning from each of those experiences. So I always really think about it, try to debrief afterwards, either with, um, if it's appropriate, then one of the team or I, I have coaches, mentors, um, or alternatively just on my own. But I think, you know, debriefing and really trying to understand, well, okay, what are the lessons learned? How would I do this better the next time around? Because invariably this situation in some form would come around again. So I think, you know, that's the the, the positive outcome of the difficult stuff. The, the challenges over the years, I, I've had lots. I remember my my first sort of proper business was uh, an Italian restaurant and uh, I was 22 when I got involved in this thing and it was you know a lot I was it was all over the shop um, and uh, I I had to fire a member of staff and it was the head chef and he was a great guy but there were various issues there and I got along with him I liked him he was a very difficult bloke but you know we, we got on and we've had a mutual level of respect but I had to have that difficult conversation. And I remember sitting him down. He was probably about twice my age at the time. And it was really hard. And I really had to kind of put on my big boy pants and go and have that conversation. It was really tricky. And I just kind of did that willy-nilly, just try to be nice and to the point and got on with it. And it was pulling a plaster. And over the years, I think that part I found difficult, sort of letting people go, I've had sort of restructures within our own company right now and, and they've been difficult because also you build a relationship with people and I think actually a, a decent leader really goes above and beyond and tries to build a relationship and actually when you then realize that this person is really nice for me and I enjoy their company but they're not necessarily right for the, the, the business I think that part of it becomes quite difficult um, so I, I feel like that has always been a, a difficult piece because it's hard, it's horrible, but it's important and you have to do it. So that for me has been uh, over the years, a big challenge. I've, I've sort of received various bits of coaching for that kind of stuff. And also starting to identify things and problems and think, well, okay, this is a little bit niggly right now, but how will that look in 18 months time? Will it be able to take the, 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 sort of stress of, of the situation. So really kind of getting into that stress testing and learning about that and thinking, well, okay, you know, I'm getting this piece of tech right now, but I know I'm going to need to upgrade that in 18 months time. So should we not be getting that and, and so on? So I think that kind of thing changes your outlook quite a bit. I can imagine. What leaders inspire you the most personally? There's lots. I mean, the first leader that I really kind of looked up to was my own dad, you know, he's run many businesses and, you know, retail and so on. And actually I learned my dad, my parents actually, in fact, and they were both involved and I have learned very different things from, from both those guys. And I think actually it doesn't need to be um, the, the, the prime minister. I think often you, you learn more from people that are around you. So that had, was always quite, quite important. Um, I think second of all, I, was always inspired by stories. So someone like Richard Branson, who kind of built up this really cool empire. And, and I think it was more the journey that was, was quite interesting. And then what you're then able to do with, with those resources um, and how you're able to, to help others. I think that whole sort of thing was quite interesting. Um, and that entrepreneurial journey, I think, uh, has always been quite something that's, that's kind of got me um, ticking. Um, I remember reading his, uh, one of his autobiographies years ago and I thought, like, you know, this is it. This is so, so interesting. And it does on, on dark days when, when you've, you know, you're, you're working really hard and you're not necessarily getting where you want to be going, or you might not hit that, that target or whatever. And you think, gosh, you know, but everyone else has been there. So I think often looking at other entrepreneurs are, is really quite useful because it, it makes you sort of understand that actually, you know, everyone's had failures and everyone's had difficult months and difficult days, difficult years, you know, and, and that's okay. You just, you've got to keep persevering and, and it will happen. 
Branson's a real inspiration, isn't he? There's so much that can be learned from from him. I know there are some people who aren't particularly big fans, but I've I've certainly read a, a lot of the, the the content that's been created by him and uh, about him, and uh, I think he's a, a force for good in the uh, in the world yeah. as well. And I think he's I think he's probably the person that's been mentioned the most when I've I've asked this series of fourteen questions to to rather a lot of people, and I think he's probably the one yeah. that comes up the the most. Um, what would you say the best piece of leadership advice is that, that you've ever received? Um, <sighs> I mean, it, it was quite interesting and there's probably more context that, that's needed, but just, I was once told to just effing get on with it. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, um, and, and it was, it was the right thing to do. And, and actually I think, um, making a decision is really important. So just get on with it was probably the best piece of single advice that I've received. And what it basically means is make a decision. I think when you linger and that is a bigger problem than making the wrong decision, because at least you've made a decision, you've committed to something. And if it's not the right thing to do, we can remedy that. But when you, leave this vacuum there that often creates a bigger problem and also i think from a leadership perspective you you lose a lot of ground you lose a lot of respect from from your team and so on by not being indecisive basically um so i think you know be decisive and just get on with it um and look keep learning um is is super important because uh, i think if you're just sort of there just kind of punching uh that, that's probably not the best thing but if you make a decision and you learn from it and you, you know you sort of become more nuanced on the next time you do it great and what you find is following your gut means that you start making much better quality decisions over a, a long period of time and you can start sniffing out an, an issue before it becomes an issue your point around decision making is really, really interesting. And just the, the point of just effing get on with it. I think there's um, a lot of people experience analysis paralysis. Um, I can't remember, this sounds like the type of thing that some clever philosopher would say, I have no point of reference for this. So if somebody could help me out with this, uh, at some point, that'd be great. But basically, that um, the, the, the context of the meme or phraseology is something along the lines of there are no bad decisions um the uh the the kind of the proof of the puddings basically is uh is is in the execution itself and i think that's that's true to a point um there's another mental model who again completely forgotten who who, who it's from so uh so hopefully somebody can correct me on uh, on this one but or at least add the add the context to this one but there are there are two different types of decisions that you can make the ones that are easily reversible and the ones that aren't um, for the ones that are easily reversible, just make a decision and crack on with it. For the other mm -hmm. ones, take a bit more time, um, yeah. but there's just no point wasting around. There's so much opportunity cost just in lingering on stuff. Um, totally. I'm quite lucky with that. I don't know for whatever reason why I've had my, when I've done psychometric profiling and stuff like that, like I'm, I think uh, uh, from a risk tolerance perspective, I think I was a seven point six so i'm the kind of the upper echelons and apparently over over eight uh, it starts getting dangerous so i'm kind of the upper echelon not, <laughs> not the kind of um uh, uh uh kind of the uh the 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 dangerous end of that end of that spectrum so it's not something that i've battled with particularly my myself um but i think one of the things that i've had to learn is that i most people don't operate at that level so a big lesson for me has been supporting people through their own journeys so that they can make their own yeah. decisions um and empower them and that's all part of that um making yourself redundant thing if somebody asks you a question don't not uh, 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 don't not answer their question but help them answer their own question so that it's mm -hmm. their own development etc cetera, etc cetera. but there's yeah. obviously an interplay between all, all how all of these different things work of course the the the, uh, the subject matter being what it is but Amrit, I've got a final question for you, and it's an important one, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing the answer. So imagine you're standing at a lectern in front of a room of aspiring leaders, and you have one minute to inspire them. What do you say? Gosh, that's a hard question, isn't it, Simon? Um, <laughs> save the best till last, right? Yeah, save the best till last. No, absolutely. I think what I would say is... 
no one is born a leader. If we look at the great uh, men and women around the, or people around the world, everybody was born the same and everybody might have had different opportunities, learned different things, been part of different information. I think trusting in yourself and believing in your gut and developing that instinct is the thing that will keep you going strong for you know, a long period of time. I think honing in on your own gut instincts is probably one of the key things that you can ever learn to do. And for me, I think the, the big thing that any leader should be doing is constantly learning, constantly consuming information, learning from everyone, not thinking, well, okay, well, actually you're a lower down station than I am, and so I can't learn anything from you. Some of the most important lessons I've learned over the years have been from people that have worked for me or worked um, at, uh, you know, a much base level sort of, uh, um, you know, a, a care worker once said something to me that kind of got me spinning and thinking, right, okay, this is it. We need to go and do more of that stuff over there. And so it's really understanding that information will come from everywhere. And are you open to it? Because it's all there. There's so much free stuff that is out there. And it's whether you're willing to consume it and then take action because everything is in the execution. It's everyone can sit there, make grand plans over the years and all of that, but are you willing to do it? Are you willing to put the graveyard shift in and just get out and just do the work? And that's it. If you do the work, something will come out of that. I started off my, my own life and journey from a, an immigrant background with parents who sort of learned English coming to the UK, went to state school in sort of the wrong side of the tracks, but I've built up to create businesses, to create a life. And I've done that through just often saying yes and just keep on consuming good quality information and just testing things. Keep doing it. Well, hopefully we created some of that good quality co uh, content uh, that will inspire some aspiring leaders. Uh, so, Amrit, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing thank your you. leadership insights. I really appreciate you. I appreciate the, the journey that you're that you're on, and hopefully this isn't the uh, the last piece of content that we create. So, really appreciate your time today, and thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be on.